Hey guys, welcome to Turn Em Loose, a podcast about bird dogs and bird hunting. Uh, before we get started, I just want to remind you to go ahead and like it and subscribe and share. Uh, if you subscribe, then you'll be able to get the new episodes as they come out and you won't have to go searching. Well, let's get right to it. guys, I've got a sponsor, a new sponsor for the podcast, and it's Electronic Shooters Protection, ESP for short, and the website is ESPamerica.com, and they are exactly what it sounds like. They manufacture electronic uh, ear uh, sound attenuators, um, so what, uh, what I did is a uh, uh, I reached out to him and said, listen, I can, I'm practically deaf, um, and I really like your product. I'd like to give it a try. It sounds like it's perfect for what I need. I went and got a hearing test and found out that, in fact, uh, nothing about any of my hearing is in the normal range. Uh, the doctor said, uh, your right ear is about shot. Your left ear is not far behind it. Uh, he said, you're a left-handed shooter, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. So apparently it's uh, noticeable, and I just thought my wife had been whispering all these years, and so I'm sorry, honey, it's me, not you. But anyway, um, these guys take uh, your ear molds that you have made and send into them, and they manufacture form-fit protection for each ear, and they will protect your ear from any noise over 90 decibels, which is... What it takes, um, it takes noise above that to damage the nerve in your ear, and that's what uh, will contribute to tinnitus or tinnitus, as they say, and also permanent hearing loss. Uh, I'm not sure if it's always all the shooting that was involved. It might have been the fact that I spent almost all of my life around jet airplanes. Uh, flying them and just being around them. But um, either way, I thought I was being careful with ear protection and, you know, you know how that goes when you're growing up. I'm 68, so apparently it's uh, taking a toll on my ears. Um, I sent my stuff off to them, which was a copy of my latest hearing test and a the uh, ear molds that I had made. Uh, and they said that they would get my ear attenuators back to me in 10 to 11 days. It took exactly 10 days. So they are here. I've put them in. I put the batteries in. The batteries last uh, about six weeks. I put the batteries in and uh, in fact it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It is really amazing. Uh, I wore them all day just for yucks just to see how they work. Uh, they pretty much uh, I mean, I've never had hearing aids, so I don't know how they work, but uh, I could hear things that I wasn't hearing before. I was hearing birds chirp that I didn't even know were existed. Um, and so this is going to be wonderful for hunting because I'll be able to hear those birds flush, which is getting to be a real problem in field trials and uh, in uh, bird hunting, wild bird hunting as well. So as we go through this and I get more acquainted with my ESP ear attenuators, uh, sound attenuators. I'll let you know more about it, but right now it's uh, ESPamerica.com. Thanks.
okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm uh, on the phone with Scott Linden, and um, you guys uh, know him from uh, Wing Shooting Wing Shooting USA, and also he's been around the sport for a long, long time. And and uh, I met uh, Scott in person. Uh, you probably remember this, Scott, but I remember Scott in person from Boise, Idaho, several years ago. Um, I was out there bird hunting, and uh, it was a rainy, nasty day. Uh, I had dogs that were worn out, and I heard that Scott was doing a presentation at the uh, Cabela's, wasn't it? In, uh, it was, yeah. Yeah, the Cabela's there in Boise. So I just loaded up the mutts and drove up there and said, hey, how you doing? It was kind of nice. Uh, I got a chance to meet somebody I'd never just heard before, so so that was good. Um, it was uh it was it was great for a couple of reasons. You know, this is one of those chances for somebody to uh actually meet a person who you call a quote friend unquote on Facebook. Um and once in a while it does work out. It, and I I I've had that opportunity with a whole bunch of people uh thanks to the TV show and and in large part thanks to Cabela's because I uh, I make a lot of appearances for them and uh, uh-huh. So they kind of sent me to go places and stand in front of the store like that. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. I I remember I went in there and I said, "Hey, Scott, Randy Schultz." You went, "What? Hey!" <laughs> <laughs> and you had your dog. You had your dog on a mat off the ground on a table or something like that, and just laying there, you know, just laying there, going, "Hey, what's up?" Well, now, tell me about your dog. What kind of dog was that? Well, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to uh, get all my dogs from the same place. It's a it's a breeder in Idaho, Three Devils Kennel. They're all German wire-haired pointers. You met uh, Buddy way back then. Uh, I since had his uh, grand-nephew, Manny, who is uh, now chasing birds in heaven and busting coveys all over the place, I'm sure. And now I have his grandnephew, Flicker, who's uh, 19 months old, and and he's carrying on the tradition. You know, the the table dog wing shooting USA thing is uh, is kind of what everybody expects now when they walk into uh, into anything that I'm doing. And he's the best of the bunch. Flick will fall asleep on that table in the middle <laughs> of the Pheasant Classic in Mitchell, South Dakota. Oh, that's something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember I called you uh, a couple of years ago, and I was hunting the grasslands south of Pier. And uh, I said, Scott, come on over. Let's do some hunting. We kind of talked about doing that. And uh, you were, you were, that's what you were doing. You were at the Cabela's there in Mitchell. Uh, yeah. And you, yeah that... and you shot me down. You turned me down <laughs> for, for, of all reasons, because you got all kinds of invites to hunt private land and i said i thought that was a terrible reason to turn me down to go hunt private land pheasant oh my gosh what a deal uh, yeah, a yeah and, and you know the odds are it was with one of the governors out there as well so uh, and i and and that's i mean i'm the luckiest guy in in the universe uh wing shooting usa the tv show is you know the best job you you could ask for if you if you truly love bird hunting and bird dogs I do get a lot of invitations like that. But, you know, the thing that most people don't know about my life is I'm not just, um, you know, on-camera talent. This is my lifestyle. So when I'm not hunting private land with big shots or with little shots or with nobody, I'm I'm out there just like you. You know, I was on the grasslands probably before that looking for sharp tails. And, you know, uh-huh. on any given week, I, I'm hunting 
Bureau of Land Management property somewhere, right. doing the same thing everybody else is because I just I just love to do it and I love playing with dogs and uh, so here I am. That is that is so cool. So tell me uh, tell me a little about about your TV show. Are you still is that still in production? How's that working? Yeah, we're going into our twelfth season as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I just I just voiced a script for a new episode this morning. Um, they the new episodes will launch in uh, late June on about eight different networks. Our flagship stations during the summer are some of the Discovery networks. If you're familiar with them, they, sure. they it seems like they own everything these days, but. They have a, a network called Destination America. They have another one called American Heroes Channel. Uh-huh, those yeah. are those are we're, we're really flattered to be on there. Um, we were the first hunting show they ever allowed onto those networks, and we're still, as best I know, uh, the, the only hunting shows on those networks. And and we're on those number one because they're gigantic. They dwarf all the outdoor channels. Um, uh-huh. Number two, they're available to virtually everybody everywhere, whether you have satellite, you have cable system, you have some uh, online or uh, streaming service. You can get the show virtually anywhere thanks to those networks and then a few others that we're on later in the year. Yeah. So yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun ride, uh, 12 years of uh, going out with uh, the same two camera guys every year, Tad and Lynn, and I'm knocking wood as I say that, um, who are the best in the business. Our job is to show people to have more fun, show people how to have more fun uh, bird hunting and enjoying their bird dogs. And while the, while the name of the show is Wing Shooting USA, because one of the big sponsors has a website called that, it's really all about the dogs and. Um, you know, I mentioned Tad and Lynn. Uh, that's one more camera guy than all the other shows have. Mm-hmm. And the reason I have two camera guys is so that Lynn could get on his hands and knees and take great pictures of dogs most of the time. Right. And that's what he does. He he, he is the hardest working cameraman in show business. And if you watch the program, you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about that um one of those times I was wandering around the country, uh, and I was thinking, you know, to have a show like that wouldn't work for me because all I do, my dogs aren't in sight most of the time. I'm wandering around out over the prairie, and, uh, you know, occasionally I'll see a dog on the hillside, or they'll swing by to get a drink of water. But uh, probably 70% of the time, I don't have a dog in sight, and that wouldn't work for television. So, uh, I mean, how do you handle that? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. You field trialers are all alike. God bless you. I love you all. I really do. And and I've had 800-yard dogs. Um, uh, Buddy, the one you met in in Boise, was, was an 800-yard yeah. dog on a good day. Uh, but, yeah, for TV, you know, I tell everybody who's on the show with me, and it's usually a, an outfitter or a guide or a lodge operator or whatever, um, we're going to make a TV show about bird hunting. It's kind of like bird hunting, but not quite the same. Um, because th- there are some things we got to do, and, and we don't fake anything. Unlike some of those other guys out there, and believe me, I know you've seen this stuff. You may not know it, but the operators and the outfitters who work with more than one of us tell us all the time. We try to keep it real the whole time. We don't reenact 
we don't have guys hiding behind bushes with birds in their hand ready to throw them up when the bird, when the dog goes on point and things like that. It's uh-huh. the real deal, and that's what you know. The best compliment I ever get on my show is, "I love it because you shoot worse than I do." <laughs> and, it's, well. and it's true, and I don't mind, you know. But uh, you know, yeah, an eight hundred yard dog, a fourteen hundred yard dog, you'll probably get a blue ribbon out of that dog, but. You know, we want, uh, you know, Lynn doesn't want to work quite that hard. So we want dogs that are, you know, within camera range. And we have some pretty good long lenses on those cameras. So if a dog's working at 150, 200 yards, we'll get some good shots of him. And then hopefully he's steady enough to where when we see a point, we can get up there. and, And again, Lynn is the best at this stuff. He'll get right in there, and he'll get some great face shots of those dogs on point. And then if we're lucky, he'll get the bird coming out of where, wherever it's hiding as well. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. Wow. So, you know, we do need slightly more close-working dogs. But other than that, you know, uh, it's the real deal. We yeah. just we just start hunting. The guys, you know, folks will ask, well, well, what do you want to do? I said, let's go hunting. Well, don't you have a script? No. Don't you have an outline? No. Let's just see what happens, and, and we'll make a story at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, and it comes across as being authentic too. So that's that is that's my cool. goal. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. Well, now you have uh, there's some products you endorse. I mean, one of them I used uh, just this last weekend that got me really thinking about you, uh, and that was that uh, Cronk bar. Is that what you call it? Cronk bar. I just call it. Pen- yeah. Well, it, you, you know, and it's all in Danish, so you can say it however you want, and nobody will care because it's probably wrong anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, the Crunch Pemmican Bar, which I call in the States the Dog Energy Bar, um, mm-hmm. is just that. You know, it's it's like, as you know, it's like Red Bull for dogs, only it's full of good, healthy stuff. Yeah. Uh, all human food-grade stuff. And, and I'll tell you, it's a funny story. Years ago, I'm a, when I'm not on TV, and actually the show I just voiced today is a chucker hunt, wild chuckers in, in northeast Oregon. But when I'm not on TV, that's where I am. I'm hunting chuckers in the, in the high lonesome. And, you know, it's a two, three, four, five day trip. And one, two dogs, you know, they're beat after doing that for a couple of oh, days. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, just like, and, and you cannot put enough food into a dog. No. to stay ahead of the curve on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked for solutions, and I tried everything in the book. I even spent eight hours with the guy who developed the Purina, uh, whatever they called that bar. I forgot what it was called. But it didn't it last utter, long. I it was it. an utter failure. You needed, a, you needed a chainsaw to break it into pieces for the dog, yeah. and then the dog needed a two-and-a-half-pound mallet and a chisel to take it from there. Yeah, um, but you know it was it was wrong anyway, and I and you know I, I'm I'm not just some guy who thinks it works well. I did all the research on this stuff, and uh, uh, the first thing you got to know is, well, let me finish my story first. I'm sorry. So I was using this bar. I, I was buying it from the local pet store, and it was it was like I said, it's like Red Bull for dogs. Uh-huh. Um, and you just give a little. It's very low volume. And I'll I'll go back into that in a minute. But one day I walked in, and it wasn't there on the shelf anymore. And they said, yeah, you know, we were getting it straight from Denmark, and they quit sending it. And uh, uh, we don't know where you can find it. So I I literally conducted a worldwide search for this stuff, and I finally got through to the the makers in Denmark. And they said, oh, uh, we just fired our U.S. distributor. And I said, 
I'll take it. Uh-huh. So, so now I'm the guy for for the sporting dog market in the U.S. for this uh, dog energy bar. And if you want to learn more, I mean, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but if you go to dogenergybar.com, got uh-huh. all the nutrition information, and everything else. Um, this is what I'll, I'll leave you with. Dogs, dogs cannot process enough food on a long hunt or on a really intense one-day hunt, for that matter, to get the energy out of it they need. We can't feed our dogs enough, and, and even if we could, we wouldn't want to feed them in the morning of a hunt or a trial because then they'd have all that stuff in their gut, which yeah. would either be dangerous because of stomach twist, or it would just rob energy because they have to process all that food. Yeah. So... You need a low-volume, high-energy product. Dogs don't get their energy from simple carbohydrates like we do. We can eat a Snickers bar, and we're good to go for another hour. They get the same thing from fat. Mm-hmm. The problem is a high-fat, low-volume food is – there is no such thing. Part of the reason is it's hard to – to keep handy, if you get up into the high volume fat content, it's goop. <laughs> You're not yeah. going to put that in your hunting vest. So, yes. so these, yeah. yeah, these guys figured out how to do it and make it into a. It look, as you know, it looks like a giant Hershey bar. Sure does, yeah. But but it's about fifty percent fat, and it's good fat. It's uh, salmon fat, pork fat, like I said, human grade stuff. And you, you know, you give your dog a little bit of this every hour or two, and and uh, and they just they stay wired in a in a good way. It's it's not like methamphetamine. It's like it's like us eating a whole bunch of complex carbohydrates that yeah. are good for us. Yeah. And and it, it it's been a, a real breakthrough for the the bird dog world because nobody's had anything like this before. Well, let me tell you a little story, this, and and this is why and this is what got me thinking about you and calling you and everything. I was uh, making the cuts through this uh, Georgia Region Championships, through this uh, National Shoot to Tree Pot Trial. Uh, it happened last weekend, and I had a nine-year-old dog. It was the only one. I had started out with four dogs, and through handler error, I'll admit it, uh, I lost two of them. And through uh, just her being just a cranky little witch, uh, I lost another one. And uh, and then I had my oldest, my oldest dog, nine-year-old female Brittany. Uh, who had won this before back in 2016. I thought she was over the hill. She just kept, she was actually doing a little limping. I mean, she, she was a little slower, but she kept on making the cut. Uh, so I was getting a little concerned after the third time she made the cut in two days, and we had two more runs to go. She was going to go all the way uh, about her nutrition. I, was, I wanted to keep her energy level up, and I was sitting there. I called a friend of mine, um, and uh, – Maggie Parsley, I've already interviewed her, so everybody knows her if they listen to this podcast, but she's a big-time field trial. And I said, Maggie, I said, here's what I got. And, uh, you know, she asked me, how you doing, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I'm trying to get some nutrition into, into Ruby, my dog. And she said, uh, I said, wait a minute, I've got some pemmican bars. I've had those, I've bought them last year, two years ago maybe, and they're still there. Uh, I've got them in the back. And she said, Randy, she said, are they those clock bars? And I said, yep. And she said, I've got those. That's what I feed my dogs in field trials. And uh, so I went back there and knocked off a half a square and gave it to her and uh, made sure she was uh, hydrated. And then every time she kept making the cut, I'd give her another half a square and keep on keeping her hydrated. And uh, I've got to tell you, well, she won it. I mean, she won the whole thing, which was 
pretty awesome for a nine-year-old dog. Uh, oh. And uh, so, I mean, I, I I think that directly related to her doing as well as she did. That's just my personal testimony for your cronk bars. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I guess I sound like an ad on TV, but I'm telling you, it worked. <laughs> so. well, oh, as, uh, of course, being being an entrepreneur, I've written all that down, and don't worry, you'll see it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it but, won't cost you too much either. Yeah. Don't worry about well, it. I, I, I love it because number one, congratulations again on the air, if you will. Uh, number two, uh, old dogs, uh, uh, are one of the soft spots in my heart. And so, you know, uh, just to see a dog that's doing that, you know, old or new or somewhere in between, um, they just need more fuel and we can't give it to them. We, we, we can eat. A, a cheese sandwich at lunchtime because we're not going to jump over a barbed wire fence and risk stomach twist. That's right. not our problem. It's a it's a major issue with a dog. And oh, if wow. we give yeah. our dog some, you know, caro syrup or or a you know chocolate bar, God forbid, or or a part of our sandwich, that's the wrong fuel anyway. Right. Right. So, anyway, so, when do you feed your dog when you're in the field? What time of day? Um, I don't feed. In the morning at all. So here's what I do. I, I try to jam as much food. In fact, let's talk about that because this is the whole performance feeding strategy. I'm, I'm pretty strong on it. It's based to a great degree on science and to, to a, uh, a greater degree on experience. And if you've seen my dogs in the field, they're, they're not field trial champions, but they hunt a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so here's what I do. Uh, Morning of a hunt, no food. Uh, put a, I, I put uh, a day's worth of dog energy bar in my pocket, and he's gonna. By the end of the day, he's gonna have it all. Um, and so I got that with me. He gets all the water he wants whenever he wants. I carry, I carry. I, I finally I did the math yesterday for some reason. I carry a hundred ounces of water when I'm hunting chuckers, um, mm-hmm. and I use it all. Um, yeah. No, no food in the morning. We hunt all day. The moment we're done hunting, my dog gets a bowl of water with glycocharge in it. Um, if you're on the yep. field trial circuit, you might know a little bit about glycocharge. Yeah. Um, it's a it it's basically it's maltodextrin. It's mm-hmm. just like yeah, it's a baking ingredient. It's a corn derivative. Yeah. But the the miracle of chemistry turns that into recovered muscle cells mm-hmm. um, overnight. Right. Uh, I think the last uh, last study I looked at said 95% recovery on your muscle cells overnight. Wow. But you got to time it right. you got to give it to the dog right after they're done exercising, and they can't have anything else in their stomach that might, in effect, dilute that for 90, sec- 90 minutes. Right. So you give them a bowl of that with dextrose, or uh, and you can buy this. And then the CarboGain is the one that weightlifters use. Glycocharge is the dog version because it tastes like liver. No, yeah. I did not try it. I've been told that. <laughs> um, so he gets glycocharge. Ninety minutes later, I just dump as much food into him as as he'll take. Right. Yeah. Uh, right before bed, he gets a little bit more. That way he has, you know, eight hours to process all of that stuff. And we all know what happens. You let him out of the box the next morning, and all the unprocessed parts of that are eliminated. Right, right. 
uh, runs all day again on an empty belly except for the um, stuff, the dog mm-hmm. energy bar. Um, even with all of that, and there, I mean, it's unbelievable. I think it, that dog energy bar, a, a day's worth of dog energy bar has like 14,000 calories in it. Wow. Um, How many even then, that's, it, um, it's, it's half, it's a half, basically a half pound. So it's, you know, these days, the ones you have, I'm not sure, but these days, it's, you know, it's about a five by seven, you know, rectangle. Yeah, okay, and, I got you. And it's about an inch and a half thick, but it's split down the middle. It's, uh, I, I, I don't know how to describe it in woodworking terms, but it's, it's two sheets. Yeah, about a right. half inch thick. Yeah. One of those sheets is a day's worth of ration for a hard hunting dog. Yeah, that's what I need to know because that's yeah. what I've got. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it's on the it's on the package. It'll tell you, you know, here yeah. it, it's so many grams, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's our routine. He comes in, he gets a drink of water, he gets a little bit of that. Uh, you know, anytime my dog checks in and he looks like he wants some, I give him some. Uh huh. And, uh, you know, you're the best testimonial I've heard all day. Yeah, <laughs> it, do, it does work. Um, yeah, it works, yeah. But, I, but the I whole, may not given her enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you never know. Yeah. And, you know, depending on the size of your dog, your Britneys are, what, 35, 40 pounds maybe? Yeah, she's, that's about, yeah. she's about 35, yeah. Yeah, so you want to go a little lighter uh, than that. And, again, it's it's all on the package. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's my routine. And if you're... If you're hunting hard more than four or five days, you're you're still behind, right? Uh, but you're less far behind. <laughs> yeah. That's why I've got to take five dogs with me. I'm I'm up to five yeah. Brits now, and, and I got them coming out my ears when I'm traveling on the road. Look like the Clampets, you know. But but, uh, <laughs> but I got dogs hanging out the windows and everything like that. But you know, I'm gone for two weeks at a time. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've always got uh, two dogs on the ground, and uh, you know, they get worn out. Uh, so, uh, but I've always got one dog taking the day off. So yeah, and you're lucky enough to be able to do that. I yeah. I get lucky every every few few years, and I'm permitted to have two wire hairs in the house at the same time. <laughs> but that's it. Oh, so, um, yeah. you know, that's you know that's how we do it, and it seems to be working so far. And yeah, Purina yeah, did a lot of research into feeding dogs, and uh, yeah, also, and and that's what they came up with. They want an empty stomach in the morning. You got to have it. Yeah. And I, I hear, you know, we get on social media a little bit, and uh, I've got a, a group called Bird Dogs and Fly Fishing Closed Group. I think we're both members of that. And uh, yeah, yeah. I tell you, every every time, every once in a while, someone will say, hey, what do you guys feed? And I'm going, oh, gosh, here we go again. You know, it just goes in. Yeah. And then, you know, when, what do you feed when you're in the field? Oh, boy, here we go. You know, Them's like, fighting words, that's yeah, for sure. They are, they are. But, you know, I, uh, I, I say, uh, you, you, you want to talk dog food. Put yeah. two bird dog owners together in a room, you'll get at least three opinions. <laughs> that is a fact. That is a fact. Yeah. So, but it uh, is. I mean, it, j- just to put a capper on that topic, you know, and, and we've seen it all. You've seen it all. I've seen it all. You know, people are feeding everything from Walmart's Old Roy to, uh, you know, to the raw f- food that they make themselves and all that. Yep. Um, you know, there are hunting partners, they are elite athletes, we expect excellence from these animals. Mm-hmm. Um, the least we can do is feed them right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I actually called Karina, 
And uh, I'm up to my fourth callback now as I work my way up through the bureaucracy of Purina to try and talk to somebody about food. And, and I can see why they're gun-shy. I mean, they, you know, they've probably been ambushed before by somebody. Uh, but I just, you know, I just want to ask them about that, about what ingredients they use and why. Yeah. And so on yeah. and so on. But, you know, I, I, I'm really beginning to think that might not be a good podcast, uh, because yeah. I just, uh, there's just too much. It's just, it's political now. It really is. I mean, you know, they're not going to be able to say anything that's going to, that half the country is going to agree with. So, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't sure. know really what, what they could do, but, um, the, uh, I used glycocharge for a long time. Uh, I had a problem getting it for a while. Uh, I went and found another product called Elements Nutrition. Uh, oh, sure. I know them well. Yeah. 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 And I talked and to And he's them got a version of that. Yeah. Elements R. Yeah. And I yeah. actually, I, you know, I tout that as well. And it's a liquid. Uh, yeah. But, uh, and I use it exactly the same way you described. Uh, and I feed exactly the same way you feed. And, uh, you know, I just, it, when a dog gets up in the morning, man, the first thing they do when they come out of that kennel is they go to the water bucket. First thing. And yeah. They will drink, 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 drink. And the second thing, of course, they go out and eliminate. And, uh, and they're ready to go. I mean, they're ready to go day after day after day. So that, uh, that's good. That's yeah, good. absolutely. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff that, um, you know, I, ca- I can't talk enough about, except we don't want to bore anybody anymore. But, my God, if you've ever lost a dog to stomach twist, You'll never feed the morning of a hunt. You never will. I can guarantee it. Now, the science isn't conclusive. It's about 50-50. But, uh, you know, if it was your, you and your belly, you wouldn't take that chance at 50-50 odds. Why should you put your dog in that danger? Listen, I ran, when I was growing up, uh, in my 30s, uh, I ran marathons, a lot of marathons. I ran about 20, 25 marathons. And... I tell you what, I was just like that dog. When I got up in the morning, I wanted an empty stomach. And you got to. You can't digest. Your body shuts down. It will not digest food. It'll just sit there. And so, uh, yeah, humans are the same way and, and a little bit. Of course, we use carbs instead of fat. But, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, that's good. And I hope people that are listening can, can you take away what you just told them. Because if, please don't feed your dogs in the morning. And don't yeah. feed them and go hunt. I mean, that's, that's bad. That's bad news. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's a couple things on your website I thought was pretty cool. It's scotlandoutdoors.com. And and uh, you have a checklist called the Ultimate <laughs> Upland Checklist. Uh, dash free download, it says. And uh, yeah. I have downloaded that. That thing is all-inclusive. I mean, it is. I don't need probably 70% of what you have on there. But. If I do need it, and I go down that checklist, I will definitely have it in my truck. So, well, uh, you're, yeah, I thank you as one who whose life depended on checklists in another career. Yeah. Um, um, I, I'm, I'm. There's no doubt. If I would sit still for a diagnosis, I know I would be ADD, and I know I would be OCD. Um, so. All you gotta do is forget your dog or your shotgun on one trip and, <laughs> and you will never ever go without some sort of a list. Right. So, you know, this one, yes, I apologize. If you, the only thing not on that list is the semi-trailer you need to put it all in to haul it. <laughs> this is a lot of stuff. 
But but it I mean it was it was literally you know, built around that that kind of experience, um, and borrowing everybody else's fly rods and things like that on fishing trips and all that. But it it is um, quite useful, and I'll tell you what was fun about that, and it's still true to this day. Um, so you put it together, and then you go on Facebook, and you say, you know, here's the list. What's not on it? And every year you get two or three other things that are, oh, great. And so, you know, we're up to version 4.4 or something like that uh-huh. on it. Yeah. It's, real, it's just an Excel spreadsheet. You know, go to the website, download it. Like you said, you know, the first thing I do is I cross all the stuff off I don't need. If I'm not, if not, if I'm not hunting ducks, I don't need camo clothing, et cetera, right. et cetera. Yeah. So, but it does save you a lot of headaches. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I recommend having that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun and a great project and uh, and I've enjoyed the heck out of it. So, uh I read the book. In fact, you sent me a copy of your book. Uh, and I read it. Then I sat down and I think you covered it cover. It was great. I loved it. And uh it's called uh, What My Dogs Taught Me. Is that correct? I have it right. What yeah, dogs, what the dogs what taught, taught me. Dogs taught me yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, I really liked it. What uh, what possessed you to write a book and why, you know, what did you learn from that? Well, um, be, being a music major, I always thought I was a great writer. And I mean that facetiously, of course. But that's where I did learn what little uh, writing skill I have. Um, but, you know, it was funny. I, I got summoned to the outdoor channel uh one day back when I was doing radio and they said hey we you know we want you to make a TV show for us I said well, okay yeah <laughs> cuz sure. this is back this is back in the day when when networks paid you instead of the other way around <laughs> so uh they said you know we've seen you do this kind of fly fishing stuff we love what you do with fly fishing and I said okay I could do that but to make it interesting I want to put some bird hunting in there. And they looked at each other and they said, all right. So um, I went home. That deal showed up. Back then, you still got your really fat contracts via Federal Express. So that got got to me. I was signing that, and they literally called again and said, you ever heard of this high-definition stuff? And I said, yeah, why? Well, we're going to start broadcasting in high-definition, on a, you know, and, and we want another title from you. And so I said, okay, well, someday, someday I'm going to write a, write a book called What the Dogs Taught Me. Uh-huh. They said, contract's on the way. So I made both of those shows for the Outdoor Channel for three years, and it was spectacular. Uh-huh. It only took another seven years to get around to writing the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I finally got it out. And it's one of those, it's a, it was one of those things, you know, you just got to get it off your chest. And you've. Maybe your podcast is all about that, and maybe somebody else's uh, restoration of their '63 Chevy pickup is just—you just, just got to do it. Yeah. And yeah. and the thing that got me inspired to do it was, you know, I'm, I'm a student of study, and I, you know, I try to learn as much as I can from everybody. You'll see me at the seminars when I'm not given one; I'm sitting in the audience for somebody else's. And I realized that there's a book's worth of stuff that nobody else has put down on paper. Uh, it's not in anybody else's video, 
Um, so I'm going to do that. And I did. And it's little bits and pieces. It, you could open it to any page and there's, you know, an idea there. And yeah. the, the goal of it was, if you're a fly fisher, you might have heard of a book called The Curtis Creek Manifesto. It's uh-huh. a comic book, but it's the best book for learning how to fly fish because it shows you and tells you all the things that your best friend would show you and tell you if you were able to fish with him all season, for a couple seasons. That's what I wanted to put into this book. All the stuff that would help you kind of shorten the learning curve. And, you know, it's everything from how to feed your dog right during a hunting uh, experience to, um, uh, you know, hey, have you ever thought about why your dog moves when you flush a bird in front of him? Have you given any thought to the fact that it might be you're blocking his view of where the bird's flying? <laughs> you know, so you, you want a steady dog, and, and you NASDAQ guys, you couldn't care less. But, but in the NABDA world, we need our dog to be steady to wing, shot, and fall. Uh, yeah. so, so don't block his view. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, that's the kind of stuff in the book. It was spectacular. I have a great publisher um i've self-published a book before and i'll never do that again i was lucky enough to uh you know a new york publisher came knocking on the door and i i went with them and it's been spectacular in fact we're waiting for the third printing of that book right now so so it is fun and if and if you're looking for it look for it on my website (laughs) so that i can make four dollars instead of a dollar five which is what which is what Amazon gives me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going through all that now. I've got my first book is at the editor now, and uh, we're going, we're doing all that. And uh, you know, I know I know what you're a little bit about what you're talking about. That's why I said it's the first one I've written. But, uh, yeah. It's called Endless October, and it's going to I be, love it. Uh, should be out a couple months, probably. I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? Can't wait. <laughs> Looking for who's your publisher. Well, it's Wild West Publishing. It's, uh, sure. It's kind of a, you know, I mean, I'm working with them. It's nobody big. You know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, I don't know nothing. All is I that? Know how to do, all I know how to do is write. I don't know nothing about the rest of it, you know, so uh, these guys are helping me out. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's the way to do it. I mean, uh, and now we're getting into the weeds a little too deep for most people, but, it, you know, there are, God bless you. If you want to self-publish or, or publish an ebook these days, it's a piece of cake. Um, oh, it is, yeah. yeah. But but you got to have a lot. What I did, I'll just leave, I'll leave you with this. So I I, I wrote the first book uh, on an entirely different subject, and uh, it's at the printer. Who um, and the printer, the boss printer, turned around and looked at me and says, "How big's your garage?" I said, "Why?" He said, well, most of these are going to be sitting in there for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, now I still got a couple dozen of those laying around. <laughs> now it's all print on demand. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, there's nothing laying around. You know, you order no. it, they print it, and send it to you. It's these yeah. Now, so. But anyway, well, that's good. Uh, I want to ask you about a couple more things before we run out of time here, and that is uh, now you – you went to uh, just give me a short, a short summation of Pheasant Fest. You went there and yeah. I saw your on your on your uh, website. You talked about it, how to approach it, and how to do it for the best uh, experience, which I thought was wonderful. I've never seen anything like that about 
pheasant fest, and I thought it was great. Uh, well, uh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an old hand at, at not just pheasant fest, but back in another life when I wrote that other book. Um, in fact, I'm sorry, I, I am going to go back into the weeds. So uh, I used to speak at a lot of sportsman shows, you know, like seven in a row. My wife almost changed the locks on the doors one year. Oh, boy, yeah. Because, you, you know, you leave on New Year's Day and you come home on Easter Sunday. I mean, that's mm. how, that's that's the commitment you make sometimes. Wow. Um, so I'm getting ready to do the first version of that. And the guy, the show producer says, and on top of everything else, you can sign your book. And I said, I don't have a book. He says, well, can you write one? <laughs> so, so I did. Yeah, yeah, so that, and I did, and I signed books, and I did all that. But, yeah, so anyway, in the course of doing all of these shows, I've learned that there is a strategy to this stuff. If you're just going because the weather's crappy, that's one thing. But most of us aren't doing that these days. Um, and whether it's a, you know, a, a plain old sportsman show, and this is the classic time of year for all of those to happen, or something more specialized like Pheasant Fest, um, the first thing I tell everybody is take a load off, sit in the audience at some of these seminars. Yeah, a lot of them are bad. A lot of them are mostly bad, but most of them have one or two things that will be of value to you. Just yeah. pay attention. Look for those. Remember them. Uh, you know, I figure one idea per hour is pretty good in my book. I could use all the help I can get. So go to the seminars. Um, be methodical about this. You can easily be distracted by all the bright, shiny objects. But if you want to book a South Dakota lodge for opening weekend, you got to work at it. You got to find those guys. You got to look at the show map. You got to look at the list of exhibitors. And if you got green in your pocket, you're probably going to have a better chance of getting a better price. So those things, uh, go early. Turn left when you go inside instead of right because everybody else goes right and the aisles are clogged up. Go all the way to the back and work your way up because those guys got nothing to do for a couple hours while everybody filters from the front to the back. Well, so you have the undivided attention of exhibitors. Mm. Um, show prices, uh, everybody's got a show price on everything. So don't uh, don't hesitate to bargain a little bit. Don't Don't be insulting. They're not selling used cars, but... You know, ask about a show price. Right. Spend your time wisely, um, and don't drink too many $9 beers. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was yeah. supposed to speak at the first session test, and we could not get there. I was mortified. So yeah. uh, I have not been uh, to one since then or back, you know. And uh, it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and it sounds to me like it's on its way to being a pretty, pretty major event. It's it's an institution now. It's you know, for many of us, it's hard to get to. It's almost always, in fact, I can't remember one that is not held in an upper Midwest city in the middle of freaking winter. Oh yeah. But there are plenty of good reasons for that, and that's why they do it. And God bless them, pheasants forever and quail forever. They work really hard at all this stuff. Right. Uh, if you're anywhere within driving distance and there are no blizzards forecast, it's worth your while to go. Yeah. Um, I, I strongly believe that. You think about how many opportunities you have 
to be amongst 22 to 30,000 people just like us. Uh-huh. Wow. There aren't any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. True. And, yeah. and you never know. You might meet a large Munsterlander that you just got to have. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. Now, they do have something where everybody brings their bird dog in there and wanders around yeah. or something like that. Yeah, the, every breed club in the universe is there, and they start the whole event at noon on Friday with yeah. the bird dog parade. So, you know, the first, the first, the first bunch out are Airedales, and uh, the last bunch out is probably um, Vislas, now that I think about it, because they go in alphabetical order. Oh, it is? Okay. You, you'll, meet, you'll meet everything from clumber spaniels to Vachtelhuns and everything in between. It's... It's um in fact they they'll be the last ones, won't they? No Weimaraners would be last. <laughs> yeah. But they're all there and you yeah. can talk to breeders, there's always puppies to cuddle with. And uh-huh. uh it, it it's it's just a great time to be around a whole bunch of people like us. And there's my dog. Hey, my young wire here wants to go out and play in the snow. All right, go. Um but there is one other event. That's as close to that as you're going to get. And, and the best news is it's on opening weekend of South Dakota's pheasant season. Uh-huh. It is, it is in Mitchell, South Dakota at the Cabela store. It's a miniature version of Pheasant Fest in that, you know, they'll put 12,000 people through the door at the Cabela store in Mitchell. I've done it. There. I've been there yeah. and done that. Yeah. 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 Well, it's you know, most. Sea of orange, you know. It is, and yeah. and these people are hyped up. I mean, yeah. Yeah. because tomorrow is the opener, or today's the opener, whatever day it was. And um, you know, I've been doing that for five or six years now, and that's the ultimate table dog opportunity. Yeah. So if you're going, if you're heading anywhere near Mitchell, South Dakota this year, I'll see you there for the Pheasant Classic in Mitchell. You know, I think we hunted. Uh, we were just talking about this, a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, we hunted this last year. We hunted the week before the opener, uh, hunted in the grasslands. And yeah. we had a wonderful time. Nobody was there. Yep. The motels were free. Uh, or not free, but they were available. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it was just, uh, it was no, there was no craziness in town. It was just, it was wonderful. And so I think what we're going to do again, we're going to do that again this year is go a little literally and miss the, uh, you know, the, the on the field, you know, the, all the hunters driving around, all that kind of stuff. And then on the way home, it'll be perfect to stop by Mitchell, and because uh, that'll be exactly the time you'll be doing that. That'll be one. Watch, yeah, watch for me. I'll be the guy right in the front of the store with a dog on a table. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you know, at all of those kind of events, uh, yes, I have books. Uh, hopefully, they'll have reprinted some by then. Um, but it's mainly about just talking. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, whether you watch a show or not is immaterial. You know, let's just talk about dogs. Let's talk about hunting. Interestingly, what I do when I'm there a lot of times is I don't want to deal with the crowd afterwards, you know, that opening weekend crowd. I That's when I head for the grasslands. It's, uh-huh. As you know, it's, it's basically the wrong time of year to hunt sharptails out there. But you have the place to yourself, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's but it's wonderful. You know, the grasslands are funny because we we did run into sharks out there, but yeah. they have had several years of wonderful chicken population out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I can't believe I just put that on radio. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. uh, that's yeah, that's that's I love hunting prairie chickens. 
and I just yeah. got started a couple of years ago. They were just sort of a niche bird that I didn't know much about. And uh, finally, uh, last April, I went out and uh, talked to a DNR guy in Nebraska. I got on a lek, and I filmed them on a lek, doing their mating rituals, and uh, learned nice. a lot about them. And, and now I'm now I'm hunting them regularly, and uh, they are wonderful, wonderful bird. But, uh, yeah. but anyway, uh, let me ask you about uh, young people in the sport. What about introducing young people? Do you have any thoughts on that and how, how we should go about doing that? Yeah, and, you know, I got a the disclaimer uh, some people are not going to like what they're going to hear next. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'm a teacher. That, the only thing I'm legally qualified to do is teach kids how to play music. Um, and so I've dealt with thousands of kids over the years, uh, and I still do. And we're, we're, we're doing an initiative now every year with uh, CZ Shotguns called Next Gen, where we, we uh, work with some of the youth shooting organizations and then take a kid or two on a probably their first bird hunt. You know, they've been shooting clays their, you know, their entire shooting career, and we've taken bird hunting. And I believe in that. I believe everybody who's working on that kind of stuff and involving youth uh, in hunting in particular, uh, they all deserve a gold medal because we do need more participants who are going to be around for a long time doing it. Um, but why, why do we need that? Or why do we need anybody hunting i don't want to give up my good spots i certainly don't want to see some guy's truck parked there when i pull up exactly but and what amazes me randy is how many people don't know this there's a law called the pitman robertson act oh yeah. yeah and uh hunters asked congress to enact this law back in the 30s. And there's a corresponding fishing one called Dingle Johnson, which is even more fun to say. But um, they asked Congress to put a tax on guns, ammo, hunting vests, and anything else hunting-related. That tax is paid by us. We may not know it because the manufacturer pays it when they sell the gun to the distributor to the retail. It's an excise tax that pays for most of the most of the game management and habitat management that takes place in any state. Now, I only say that because most people would say, well, my, my licenses do that or my state income tax or whatever. No, they don't. In any given state, 60 to 75% of the money that's spent is handed to the state from the feds through that program. Right, uh, and then the rest comes from license fees and tags and things like that. There are only a few states in this union. In fact, there's only two that I know of that have any kind of a statewide taxation that actually helps pay for game and habitat management and, and acquisition. The other thing is duck stamps are how we buy wildlife refuges. Uh-huh. There's really no other way that that happens. So you know, when I get into a discussion, and I'm being political here about polit- politically correct, when I have a discussion with a non-hunter, the first thing I tell them is, "You want to you want to help wildlife? Buy a hunting license. Mm-hmm. Buy a gun. Um, <laughs> because that's the only way it gets paid for. They're not paying for it. Right. Uh, and yeah. and and as we all know, when you improve habitat for prairie chickens and whitetails." The western meadowlarks and the pine warblers also enjoy that same enhanced habitat. 
All right. So, so that's why we need more hunters. Mm-hmm. Youth are a great opportunity. So are inner city families. So are single fam- single parent families. So are minorities. So are women. Mm-hmm. The lowest hanging fruit is the one uh, that nobody's been talking about but me for the last 12 years. Take a friend hunting. Mm-hmm. Our peers are the most likely to, number one, go along with it. Number two, they have the money to spend on it. Number three, they're kind of like us already, so they probably are prime. And uh, all we got to do is ask them. Mm-hmm. You take your next-door neighbor who already likes you and probably asks you what you were doing last week in South Dakota. Um, all he has to do is turn around the next week and call Cabela's, and he's a hunter. Poof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of talk about R3, recruit, retain, reactivate, blah, blah, blah. Well, all that works, but every other demographic has something working against it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Access, money, political correctness, et cetera, et cetera. My problem was I couldn't take my kids out of school. They would there just you. flunk. They would there you go. set back a grade if I took them out of school without, without uh, you know, proper uh, reason. And hunting yeah. was not a proper reason. Well, uh, yeah, and and that's good. That's school. before that's before the teacher rags them for going out and killing Bambi. Oh yeah, yeah, on and on. Yep. So, so you know, it's it's guys like us, it's gals like us, and and that flies in the face of a lot of great groups and their initiatives. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality. Most children are introduced to hunting by their fathers. Right. We can do all we want at youth hunts and conservation days and all that, but if they if they go home and there's no dad there to show them how to uh, be safe with a firearm or how to track a deer or how to find a good spot to, to boost a quail out of a bush, then it's all for naught. So mm-hmm. let's make the fathers into hunters, or remake the fathers into into reactivated hunters, mm-hmm. and then let them do the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. It's it's the right way to go. It is. And like it I really said, is. you know, when I write that, and I've written that several times in various publications, uh, people don't like to read it because it it doesn't help the organizations or the or the people who make a career out of running youth hunts or, uh, you know, conducting programs for kids or inner mm-hmm. city or whatever. Right. But it is the right way to grow the sport. Right. And right. enhance the habitat. Well, yeah, and that's something that uh, I tell you, I haven't considered some of that myself. But, you know, and, and that is a wonderful segue to my next question, and that is what do you see as the future of our sport, bird hunting? The good habitat's going to be privately owned. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Um, I knew you were. I know you were a in, in effect a federal employee, and I appreciate your service. But when has the when has the public sector ever done a better job of managing anything than the private sector? Yeah. And that's what we're talking about here. You know. Uh, and I, you know, I, like I said, I deal with it every day. I I walk the same hills everybody else does. I see what happens when the cattle overrun a stream 
and it gets, uh, you know, it gets eroded or the water temperature gets too high. I know what happens when, when somebody turns a, a tall grass meadow into a cornfield. Um, so, uh, you know, I feel the pain because I live it every day. I, I think that there need to be more incentives for the private sector to do more to invite hunters onto their property. And, yeah. and, and, and it's happening. You know, CRP, CRP is the one we all jump to first. Um, there are other related programs, whether it's, uh, you know, a walk-in hunting program in Kansas or the PLOTS program in North Dakota. All of those work. Someday, we'll even get the ethanol industry off the, off the dime and helping instead of hindering in that world. They should be subsidizing some more of that walk-in habitat in corn country, for example. Uh-huh. Oh, but that's I, I think that's where it needs to go, and I know I'm on a soapbox, and I'll step off of it now. But but if you want to find decent habitat, um, it's just like anything else. Uh, the only people the only people who are going to do a good job of it are the people who who benefit financially from doing it. Right. And as as we all know, the bureaucrats and the agency people couldn't care less. They, in fact, they wish to a great degree they wish you wouldn't show up. It just makes their life harder. <laughs> I guess it does. You know, I I, uh, I hunt public land. I, but well, I can't say that exclusively. I do hunt, uh, for example, in Montana, a block management program they have going yeah. on. When it first started up, uh, I wasn't a big fan. But now I'm a huge fan because they did it right. It's working, and I'm hunting private land every day. Uh, and uh, you have to jump through some small hoops, but this is good stuff, and, uh, yeah. and I, I never go anywhere without my BLM map. Well, it's, it's, it's digitized now. It's on my phone, but uh, and you know I use one of those uh, uh, map programs, at GIA, GAIA, GPS. Yeah. It's kind of like the Onyx is another one. Sure. And yeah. so I've got school land, I've got BLM land, and I've got block management land. I got more land than I can hunt. And so you know, I'm, if I had to. When you said it'll be in private land, you know, I kind of went, eh, I don't want to hear that. But I can see that it already is a lot. You know, yeah, and, is. Yeah. And, and you brought up the best program out there, and that is Montana. And the, and the fundamental difference between Montana and everybody else is if you're a rancher in Montana, you only get paid when some guy walks onto your property, signs the form, and drops it in the box on your property – Yep. And goes hunting. If if your property is crappy, uh, the market will show you that you're not doing a very good job. Yeah. Uh, and, and and eventually you'll either improve it or you'll get out of the program. In yeah. many other states, unfortunately, some biologist in the middle of summer goes out and says, "Yeah, that looks pretty good. Promise not to mow that." And uh, and and then they write them a check for the whole amount. Uh-huh. And, and and as we've all seen. You show up there in October, and that incredible grassland is now a cow pasture yeah. because there's no penalties. There's no incentives for doing it right, and there's no penalties for doing it wrong. Yeah. So if I'm when, when I'm the emperor of the universe, uh, we're going to have block management Montana style all over the world. Yeah, that's uh, I, you know I make some really good friends up there with the ranchers because uh, I show up on time. I Take care of their. I've been in roundups. I fixed fences. I pulled trucks out of the ditch. 
I've been pulled out of the ditch. Uh, you know, and you make friends over the years. I visit the same places year after year. Uh, good people. Really. Yeah, and you know, let, let's let's uh, let's give a hand to all of those folks who do this. They don't have to do this stuff, mm-hmm. and they're not making a profit on it. They're doing it because uh, they they believe in 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 our pastime in the conservation benefits of it. And whether it's that or it's simply being nice at the tavern at the end of the day by buying a drink for the guy next to you, uh, with no expectation of being invited to his place. We got to remember we're guests in a lot of these places. And if I ever write another book, Randy, it's going to be about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, rural America built this country, and it's still what feeds this country. And these people, they may be wearing boots and flannel shirts, and there might be something funny on the boots. Um, but those people are the ones that that really support wildlife on the retail level. Oh, yeah. And if yeah. and if we can't show them our appreciation by leaving the gates the way we found them and not driving through fields but driving around fields, and, yeah, once in a while knocking on the door and leaving a couple birds, cleaned birds at the end of the day, um, then it's no wonder nobody wants you to come back onto their land. So yeah. be a good guest. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so true. Well, listen, we've come to the end of our time, Scott, and I, I really do appreciate uh, talking with you. I mean, that's you know, there's so much more I could ask you about, uh, and maybe we'll maybe we'll do this again because I want to hear about how you came up in the sport and your history and so on. It's just it's just wonderful to to hear that. So maybe I'll get a chance to talk to you again if that if that's possible. It it is always possible, Randy. And um, maybe the next time we do this, it'll be sitting on a tailgate after a day out in the. my friends that's the end of this episode don't forget to like share and subscribe and that way you'll be the one of the first ones to hear new episodes as they come out uh, don't forget also to visit my blog which is a birdhunterstoughts.com there's a link to the podcast in the upper right corner and you can listen to the latest one there as well go ahead and share the blog share the podcast And uh, be sure and stay tuned for new episodes. I also have a book coming out. It's called Endless October. The paperback will be out shortly. And there will also be a Kindle edition to follow shortly thereafter. Be sure and uh, try to be the man your bird dog thinks you are. And until next time, happy hunting.